You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here at NapaBroadcasting.com. Whatever the subject under discussion here in Napa County, be it land use, wineries, events, housing, retail development, they all seem to come back to the subject of traffic and transportation. And even while Napa has some of the more moderate traffic by Bay Area standards, it always seems to be top of mind. We're going to talk about traffic not only here in Napa, but in the region. Today with my guest, Dr. Susan Handy. She's a professor in the Department of Environmental Science and Policy and the director of the Sustainable Transportation Center at the University of California, Davis. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Susan Handy here. Susan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. What is it about traffic that it seems that no matter what the subject is, particularly here in the Bay Area, but but arguably in many other places as well, that the subject of traffic always seems to be front and center to any discussion about anything connected with our environment? I think it's because traffic is something that most of us experience on a daily basis and it causes great frustrations uh, in our daily lives. And because of that, is there a false sense sometimes of what really is the impact of traffic because of the frustration, because it is something we deal with every day? Well, I think, yeah, I think there's a tendency to... Um, focus on the personal implications of traffic, you know, how it's um, making it harder for you to get to work, it's taking you longer to get home, uh, you know, the frustrations that we experience individually. Uh, and sometimes it's hard to look beyond that to understand some of the, the bigger picture issues around traffic, uh, both from the standpoint of what you know? What are the impacts to our communities, to the environment, to society? Um, uh, but also thinking about the, the the causes and potential solutions. When we look at the Bay Area in particular, where there's a limited amount of space, talk a little bit about solutions, because sometimes the solutions seem like they're really impossible to to come up with. It does often seem impossible, and we certainly have been working on trying to find solutions for many decades. Um, you know, partly uh, the Bay Area is just a very complicated place. It's complicated um, topographically, ge geographically, uh, given the Bay and the mountains, um, but it's also complicated uh, institutionally in that we have nine different counties in the Bay Area, over a hundred different cities, um, you know, all with their own perspective on the problem and their own thoughts about the solution. So it's, you know, it, it is hard to uh, both, um, I think, really understand the problem and then come together to find viable, uh, viable solutions. And, of course, any discussion of traffic and transportation really is, is a function of how we talk about housing and growth and development and all those other issues. Absolutely. It's all, it's all tied up together. So, you know, why, why do we have traffic? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's not that we're out there driving for driving's sake because we want, you know, we want to be driving. Uh, we're driving because we need or want to get somewhere or because um, goods need to be shipped from here to there. So, um, 
you know, that means that the transportation is very much tied to uh, the economy as a whole, uh, to our decisions about land development, uh, what kind of development we allow where. Um, so all of, you know, what's going on with the economy, what's going on with development, that's affecting our transportation uh, problems in that it's generating the traffic that we're now dealing with. Mm -hmm. uh, but it also means that to solve these transportation problems, we can't just focus on the transportation system. We've got to think about how this, the transportation system fits into the entire system um, that we're talking about. And are we getting better at understanding all of the how all of these different elements interact with each other, and are we getting better on the, on the planning side? Well, the, uh, getting the better, getting better on the understanding side of things. That's where uh, we researchers come mm -hmm. in, and I, you know, I do think um, through all these decades of research uh, that we've got a better understanding of how things work. Um, on the planning side, hopefully that, you know, that understanding about how things work is helping to inform um, the planning side as well. Uh, we've developed more sophisticated tools to help us uh, model these systems and forecast what's going to happen in the future, you know, given different um, sorts of policy choices or investments in the system. Um, so I think we are, we are getting better. Um, but like I said, it's just a very complicated problem, and we've got this complicated institutional setup that means there's no, you know, there is no silver bullet. That's what we say all the time. There is no, no single easy solution to the problem. What it really takes is a whole bunch of different strategies implemented by a whole bunch of different um, jurisdictions. Um, public sector as well as private sector, uh, you know, before uh, we can, I think, very effectively address uh, the problems. As we look around the Bay Area, where are the communities that are doing the best job? What are the communities that are getting it the most right in terms of looking at all of these factors? You know, I think... Um, I, well, I would say the Bay Area as a whole is making a lot of progress. Uh, you know, different, the, the needs are different in different communities. So, you know, at the center of the Bay Area, we've got much higher density communities um, where there's a lot of focus on uh, improving transit service and increasing the density of development around uh, rail stations, for example. Um, that's exactly the kind of thing we need to be doing if we're going to provide alternatives um, to being stuck in traffic in our cars. Um, a lot of communities are investing in bicycling infrastructure, and we're seeing some pretty impressive increases in the use of bicycling as a mode of transportation, You know, even if it's still uh, a relatively small share of travel. It, it is increasing and bicycling is becoming a much more viable mode of transportation than it used to be. So I'm seeing examples of that, um, I would say, throughout the Bay Area. And in fact, you know, it's really not, no one community on its own 
can do very much. Mm-hmm. You need all the communities to be um, moving in the same direction if it's really going to work because it's not like, um, you know, you live in one town and work in one town and shop all, you know, all in the same town, that our daily lives are so, um, you know, they cross so many boundaries that these communities are all very much uh, connected to each other. Um, I think where it's it's harder to figure out what we should be doing uh, is in some of the more rural parts of the region, including Napa County, uh, where we have much lower um, density development, um, you know, where it's much harder to design a viable transit system, where distances that people are traveling to get to work or, or um, to get to shopping, you know, maybe too long for bicycling to really make sense. Um, the, the rural part of the equation is just much harder to figure out. And I would say that the, the research community um, has been more focused on the, the urban question and is just now starting to dig into what do we do in these more more rural, lower-density settings. And in those settings in particular, mass transportation seems to be much more problematic than it is in, in an urban environment. Well, it is. I mean, to make transit work, you need, you know, you need enough concentration of mm-hmm. people uh, in terms of residences and jobs uh, that you can justify, you know, that uh, a transit system where you're you're carrying, you need to be carrying a large number of people from point A to point B. Um, so it means, you know, we've got to think about transit a little differently in in these kinds of areas. So, for example, we have a project that's funded by Caltrans um, to look at how these um, privately run shared ride services like Uber or Lyft might help to meet some of the need for public transit in rural parts of the San Joaquin Valley, mm-hmm. you know, where it is just simply not cost effective to be running a regular transit system, yet we still have people living in these areas um, that aren't able to um, drive their own vehicle to get to where they need to go. So how do we provide services in those areas? Um, the good news is that with a lot of these new kinds of services and thanks to smartphone technology and other IT, um, you know, some of these more innovative services are becoming more viable. And um, if we get creative about how we use them, we might be able to... Um, um, provide provide services in areas where it just hasn't been possible before. And is the prospect out there of uh, autonomous cars at some point in the not-too-distant future part of this equation? Well, yeah, that's the big uh, multimillion-dollar question. Um, you know, who knows when exactly we'll, we'll be having those. Um, there will probably be some... Um, uh, some transition towards full automation where we get sort of forms of partial automation along the way. Uh, but it's the big question, and we just don't know for sure. Um, to me, the big question is how we how it ultimately ends up um, evolving. So one version would be 
everybody owning their own autonomous vehicle. So you can get in your car and tell it where to go, and you sit in your car um, not having to drive, meaning that you can be doing other things like working or reading or relaxing, uh, in which case uh, we might end up with a whole lot more driving than we've got now because, in effect, the um, the cost of driving uh-huh. to the individual in terms of you know the, the time and the effort goes way down. Um, so to me, that's that's a bit of a nightmarish situation. Um, another way it might go is a much more shared version where autonomous vehicles um, sort of become our public transit system so that they're publicly owned. Um, when you need to go somewhere, you call one up, it picks you up and takes you where you need to go. Um, and maybe you're sharing that vehicle with somebody else who's doing a similar sort of trip. You know, a model like that um, could be a much a much better thing for our communities. Right. You touched on something a moment ago, this idea of the cost of driving. Talk a little bit about that, because the calculation of that is an important part of so many of these other decisions that get made, particularly with respect to building roads and building infrastructure. The cost of driving is very much at the center of um, this sort of decision-making, but typically it's been de- defined in a relatively narrow way. Uh, and you know, from a public decision-making standpoint, the, the predominant metric is travel time. So decisions about investing in uh, an expansion to the highway system, for example, you know, the benefit get, benefits get quantified in terms of the travel time savings um, that that will produce. Um, and, you know, that is a real, a very real benefit. Time is money. So uh, you probably see the reports that come out periodically uh, about how much, you know, how much time gets wasted for people being stuck in traffic. And then that gets converted into some huge dollar amount of, of waste to the economy because of people being stuck in traffic. Um, so it's that sort of calculation that goes into decisions about um, whether it's worth investing in this expansion of the highway. What's the cost of expanding the highway relative to the, you know, the, the, the benefit in terms of travel time savings converted into dollars uh, if we build it? Uh, but that leaves out, of course, lots of other um, costs, if you define costs loosely, to include things other than just monetary costs. So we do analyze the environmental impacts of roadway uh, expansion as well. Um, you know, there are other kinds of societal impacts that um, sometimes get factored in. Um, sometimes they get talked about, but maybe not. Um, quantified in the same sort of way as we're quantifying travel travel time. Talk a little bit about building roads and really what the attitudes are today about building more infrastructure, particularly here in the Bay Area. The you know the natural reaction I, to to congestion is to say, well, we need more capacity. You know, if if the roads are full. Let's widen the roads. Let's build a new road uh, to handle all of this traffic. And that will be um, the solution to our problems. 
um, the uh, you know, and and for a while that was true, right? I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. kind of what we were doing, but we've gotten to a point where um, the demand has grown far faster than we've been able to expand the roadway system. Uh, and at this point, we, for one, don't you know don't have a whole lot of money um, compared to what we used to have to put into the roadway system, uh, and we don't have the kind of space that we used to have. There are a lot of places where you know it's just physically not possible uh, to expand the roadway system, uh, at least not without you know huge impacts on communities, um, let alone financial cost. Uh, but the other thing that we've come to understand is that maybe it doesn't work that well anyway, uh, and that's this um, concept we call uh, induced travel, where uh, we know um, from kind of basic economics, supply-demand uh, relationships, that if we um, if we expand the roadway system uh, so that you know in a congested situation, so that traffic moves faster, that's in effect lowering the cost of traveling, right? And what happens if the price goes down? People consume more. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's an economic, um, economic fact. So uh, as we've expanded the roadway system, you know, in part that's been about um, trying to address the traffic that we have. But it also leads to additional, additional travel, in this case, additional driving, uh, because the price has gone down. So that's why, you know, after a big road expansion project, things are better for a while, but eventually uh, we inevitably get back to the kind of traffic levels uh, that we had before. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes quite a while, other times it's, you know, it happens pretty quickly. Uh, but the more that we expand the system, the more travel that we're enabling uh, and the system fills up. So, you know, the other way to think about it is that instead of trying to build our way out of congestion, um, we should be thinking about providing alternatives to congestion. In other words, alternatives to being stuck in, in traffic. Um, that means providing alternative modes um, investing in the transit system, uh, as I said, investing in bicycling in places where that makes sense. Um, let's give people alternatives to driving. Uh, but it also means thinking about land use and can we, can we arrange our communities so that even when you're driving, you don't need to be driving so far. Um, and this is where affordable housing becomes uh, very important, uh, and the link between our housing policy and our transportation policy uh, really needs to get made. Um, you know, in places where we have lots of jobs, but we don't have enough housing or enough affordable housing, um, you know, we're we're making people commute very long distances. So in that case, maybe the solution isn't to make that travel faster, but to um, invest in housing so that people can live closer to where they work and don't have to travel so far. And in the long run, that may may be, and probably is, a much more effective approach than continuing to expand the roadway system. 
To what extent is some of the problem the result of using infrastructure as a growth measure that in communities and even throughout the region that we have limited infrastructure as a way sometimes to control growth and wound up having to pay the price for it later? Well, that's the chicken and egg question a bit. Um, so, it, you know, it's certainly true that when, um, you know, infrastructure reaches its capacity, that does um, create something of a stop on growth. Uh, but not, you know, the relationship isn't perfect because um, the policies are not always, um, you know, the development and the transportation system are dictated by different policies and different planning processes and all of that. So, um, you know, there are certainly places where the transportation system seems to reach its limit, and um, you would think that would stop growth, but um, whatever land use decisions are getting made maybe aren't taking that into account. And the development happens anyway, and things get uh, things get that much worse. Um, you know, using sort of doing that intentionally to say we're not going to expand infrastructure uh, as a way to prevent growth. Um, other communities have done that, and um, you know, it it, it uh, sometimes that works. Um, you you stop or slow the growth, uh, but then the downside could be increases in um, housing prices, which may, you know, then exasperate, exacerbate the problem uh, in other ways. Um, but, you know, conversely, as we were just talking about, you know, if you, if you are expanding the system, you are accommodating more growth. So if, if you're in a place where there is pressure for growth, um, you know, expanding the, the system, it's not just about accommodating the traffic that you've got, but you will be helping to accommodate that additional growth and you, you know, you get back to the situation where the, the new capacity fills up. Um, so, you know, it's all very interconnected and plays out a little bit differently in different places. I don't know if you had a particular example in mind. No, not, not I mean, just sort of in general. I mean, we, we often yeah. hear that, you know, yeah. limited infrastructure will somehow limit growth. And as you say, it becomes a chicken of the egg kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, what, so yeah, so limiting infrastructure can limit growth. But really, what you've also got to think about are those land use policies. Are the are the land use policies allowing growth? Uh, and if they are, then simply limiting infrastructure may not be enough um, to slow that growth. The bottom line, as you said earlier, is that there is no silver bullet. It's a very complex issue. It is a very complica complicated issue, and you know we've been. Um, addressing these problems, particularly the congestion problem, for decades. Uh, if you look back at newspaper reports uh, from the 1950s, you can even go back to the 1920s, you know, they, they're just full of articles about how bad traffic is and what are we going to do about it. Um, so I think part of the part of the answer is that we need we need to redefine the problem. You know, maybe the problem isn't traffic congestion, uh, that maybe that shouldn't be our focus, but instead if we, if we focus on 
uh, meeting people's needs uh, to get from one place to another, to, to be able to get to work, to be able to get to the store, uh, to be able to get to school, that that starts to open up other kinds of solutions. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm of the mind that, um, that, you know, that to solve the congestion problem by getting rid of congestion, you know, it's just not going to happen. We are not right. going to get rid of congestion. Congestion is um, an artifact of a healthy economy. If you've got a healthy economy, there is going to be there is going to be congestion. So that's not what we should be focusing on as the problem. But instead, we need to be thinking about what are people's needs and how can we meet them better. And that, you know, if you think about it that way, that opens up a whole range of other kinds of, of strategies that we might take. UC Davis Professor Dr. Susan Handy, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, my pleasure. Thank, thank you. you very much for having me. NapaBroadcasting.com. Controversy, fun, and conversation. All the things that radio used to be.